Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. So these are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen to the word of our Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word of our Lord. From Paul's second letter to his buddy Timothy, second chapter, verses 8 through 15. Paul writes, Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel. The gospel for which I am suffering hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not 
chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of this. And warn them before the Lord that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. The word of the Lord. Okay, we just, we just got the lights taken care of, so I want to show you what we can do now. Is that fun or what? Should I leave them down? It was so romantic last Sunday with the lights dimmed. I just kind of thought it would be fun to, to go to there. Um, pray for your pastor. He's easily distracted. We hear words that then cause us to want to respond with words. But your word is not looking for a rebuttal or a debate. Your Word is looking to give us eternal life and ask us to serve in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 14, remind them of this and warn them before the Lord that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good but only ruins those who are listening. Today's word, the word of the day is wrangle. It's fun to say, wrangle, especially if you grew up in the state of Nebraska that leans heavily into ours. It's Nebraska. I remember in spelling class, my teacher you know, would read the word, and then we were supposed to spell it as best we could, and the spelling word that day was wash, but it was Nebraska, so she asked us to spell warsh, and so I spelled warsh, W-O-R-S-H. And she marked it wrong. And I said, well, how do you spell it? She said, you spell it just like it sounds, W-A-S-H, Warsh. <laughs> I, I knew then that spelling was never going to be a strength of mine, especially when we always celebrated George Washington's birthday. But I digress. Back to the word of the day, which is wrangle. If you think it's a Yosemite Sam word, you'd be right. The rootness tootness cowboy was regularly wrangling, and most often wrangling varmints. I gotta wrangle this varmint rabbit to fight to bring something together. Of course, the Apostle Paul uses this word with absolutely no knowledge of the vocal stylings of Mel Blanc. Imagine that. No knowledge of it, and I realize that at this point I've lost everybody under 40 with my own cartoon memories, but oh well. Avoid wrangling over words, Paul says. The, the word that is translated as wrangle is actually a, a Greek compound word, which is fairly straightforward. It brings together the, the word logos, which means word, and macheo, which is a Greek word for to fight. 
don't fight over words. Avoid word fighting. Avoid it, Paul instructs Timothy. Why? Because it only ruins those who are listening. Now, one more Greek word, because the Greek word for ruin needs almost no explanation. It's uh, translated perfectly from Greek into English. The word here is catastrophe. Catastrophe. Don't wrangle over words. Don't word fight, because it only brings catastrophe for those who are listening. The catastrophic argument, Paul continues, was the argument that was being made by, by two guys, Hymenaeus and, and uh, Philetus. Hymenaeus and Philetus are mentioned in verse 17, and that's beyond the scope of today's reading, but let me tell you what Paul says. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymetus and Philetus. These two early Greeks were Gnostics. Gnostics. It's a heresy that plagued the early church from its very beginning. Gnosticism. Gnostics taught that the true Christian life had nothing to do with behavior. In fact, everything we do is either too corrupt or too perfect to even pay attention to. What was important was not how we act. It was about the special zapping knowledge that we had. If you hear a connection between the Greek word gnosis and our English word knowing, you'd have made the appropriate condition. It's not how you behaved. It's what you knew didn't matter in the end of the day how you treated one another. The important thing is, is that you understood the great mysteries of the faith. Special understanding was the key. Oh, good Lord, the world is still full of Gnostics. I bet at some point this past week, somebody said to you that you didn't understand what was really going on. And then they shoveled out to you some elaborate explanation of why things were the way they were. Things may look this way, but if you know what's really going on, then you can be one of the special people. Let me explain. Paul offers Timothy this advice. He says, when conversations like that begin, don't have anything to do with foolishness and stupid arguments because they, you know they produce only quarrels. Paul doesn't mention words. I did not paraphrase the translation here. It is, have nothing to do with stupidness and foolish arguments because they produce only quarrels. In other words, when somebody begins to let you in on their secret knowledge that tells you what's really going on, if you only looked at the right websites and listened to the proper speakers and saw the right YouTube videos, ah, then you would know how the world really works. Just drop it. Walk away. Don't engage. Paul tells Timothy in verse 24 and following, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, to be able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance and lead them to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The devil. We just heard about Jesus being tempted of the devil. The, the word in that passage and in this passage from 2 Timothy 2 is the same, diabolos, 
from which we get diabolical. When someone engages you in an argument about words, not about behavior, but about vocabulary and about thought and about plans, it's a diabolical plan to get you all worked up into word fighting. And Paul says that accomplishes absolutely nothing but catastrophe. At the end of the day, after you've had your argument, nobody's been fed, nobody's been clothed, nobody's been encouraged or welcomed. Now, the heated argument may feel like important work, (laughs) but if there are no changed lives, no one has been touched by grace or love or hope or kindness, Paul says you've just wasted your breath. And you have fallen into a diabolical scheme. You've only confused people concerning the true meaning of the gospel. And here's the place where I feel most convicted. Because I love a good debate. I love a pointless argument. I love a deep dive into how I really know what's going on and you are nothing but an ignorant tool. (laughs) Except that kind of engagement, even if it's just a humorous pastime, is not helpful for the kingdom of God. Paul uses the analogy in the beginning of chapter 2 where he tells Timothy to be like a good soldier. In verse 4 he says, no one who is serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please only the commanding officer. When the Roman legion would come into an area, regardless of the politics, regardless of the religion, their job was to fulfill the requests of their commander, not to get bogged down in the politics of where they happened to be serving not to get bogged down in pointless, diabolical arguments that only confuse the listener. Instead, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ to Jesus. Take a deep breath. Don't get bogged down, don't engage, don't argue, but instead be completely energized by the grace of Jesus Christ. Entangled in civilian affairs? (laughs) Wow, in too many cases, I'm afraid that exactly describes the church today. On the right and on the left, I don't even want to discuss who's doing it better, who's doing it worse, to be bogged down in civilian affairs when we have a much higher calling and obligation is to waste time. Am I worried about how you're doing? Am I building up your strength in grace? Am I offering you encouragement and welcome and love and peace? Or have I succumbed to the diabolical scheme of telling you what to think? In 597 BCE, Jeremiah has just witnessed that the best and the brightest of the city of Jerusalem have been carted off by King Nebuchadnezzar II into Babylonia to serve his growing Achaemenid empire. Jeremiah 29, 
5 to 7, he gives them instructions. Paul just read a few moments ago. Build houses, plant gardens, eat the food, take wives, have children, give your daughters in marriage so that they can have grandkids for you. Multiply there, don't decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you shall find your welfare. Even in a Babylonian pagan city. Pray for that city. Engage in that city to seek its welfare. Don't get involved with arguments, but instead seek to do what is best for your neighbors. No matter what they happen to believe or think, not their politics or even their religion, seek their welfare, writes Jeremiah. I know a, a good debate feels important, parsing words about ideas and values and who's right and who's wrong. It feels so very righteous, so very holy. This past week I read an article by a woman named Mina Andipapan. She's a professor of man management at the University of Toronto in their Institute for Health Policy. And she published the results of a little study that she had done regarding people's sense of well-being and mental health. I want to read from Andipapan's writings. She wrote this about the conclusions of her study. Given the recent popular movement towards ideals of self-care and focusing inward, we wanted to further investigate the best way to increase one's happiness and mental health. We compared people who chose to treat themselves by spending money or time or some form of resource on their own happiness. It ranged uh, from painting their nails to watching their favorite movie to eating at a fine restaurant versus those who treated others. Again, anything from just opening the door for someone at a grocery store to donating goods to charity or volunteering at a place for the poor, for the homeless, and for the hungry. In both cases, people largely did simple, low-to-no-cost acts on a daily basis. What we found, however, was surprising. For people who didn't consistently enact behaviors outside of their normal routine, kind acts that had no direct effect on their well-being, they had less consistent joy. Those who fully engaged in a steady and consistent life of enacting behaviors outside of their normal routine, acts of kindness, they had bigger boosts in their sense of well-being and mental health compared to those who only treated themselves. Not only that, but for those who fully engaged in kind acts, those acts were associated with reductions in anxiety and depression. Our study joins a long line of research findings that concur. Why does research find these effects? Some have found that spending our energy on other people, particularly those less fortunate, she wrote, makes our own troubles seem less important and pressing. Now, I don't even think she is a Christian. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure she's not. And so I need to talk to her about Jesus so she understands things better, right? 
we need to argue some theology and maybe give her some Bible verses. I don't know. The point is, she's pointing to truth. She's right. Shall we wrangle over words? If I think about all the time and all the work and all the energy that I have devoted to arguing and debating to my wrangling all those varmints of bad thought, I'm embarrassed. Embarrassed to think about how little I've actually accomplished. And perhaps that's why at the end of the day I'm kind of exhausted and low on happy. Do your best, wrote Paul, to present yourself to God, one approved by Him, in work that does not need to be ashamed, but rightly handles the word of truth. Avoid wrangling. Poor Yosemite Sam. Usually by the end of the cartoon, he was completely exhausted, right? The bunny had taken it out of him. Because he was constantly using words to wrangle and to fight and to disputate and argue. How much better at the end of the day if we point to what we've done and said, wow, Somebody felt encouraged. Somebody received food. Somebody's life was made better. That is not a diabolical plan. That, my friends, is living the gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and let us speak our confession in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick.